if you were with us last week at Anthem Church, we uh, ended on this idea of Jesus as the resurrected King. The week before that was Easter, we were talking about the resurrection. Last week we were talking about the resurrected King and all the implications that that has on our life. And so the, the note that we kind of ended on was, was talking about how Jesus as the resurrected King has this persevering love. This persevering love that goes after his disciples, even if they're in fear, even if they're in doubt, even if they're in a place of confusion, we see Jesus seeking them out. Even doubting Thomas, right, the guy who should have known better, Jesus, in love with this persevering care for him, seeks him out. And that same sort of love is the same direction that we're going this morning, because as we see in the text that Matt just read for us, we see Jesus going after his disciples, right? His disciples are up in Galilee now, and, and he's seeking them out in this place where, where they're fishing. Even though Jesus has called them to be fishers of men, they're back to fishing, and we see Jesus with his persevering love seeking them out. And so this morning, as we're in John 21, we're going to be looking at this idea of discipleship. Jesus is having some of his last moments with his disciples here, and he's modeling for them discipleship so that they could see what, what does it look like? This, if Jesus is going to be with the Father, what does it look like for us, Lord, to be doing your work? And so this morning, as we close the book of John, as Matt was saying, we're going to witness Jesus on offense in that he's teaching them, hey, this is what discipleship looks like through modeling it with his disciples. And so why that mattered for them and why that even matters for us now with especially like a missions weekend, why does discipleship matter? It's because it's what God has been calling all believers to do since the beginning. Yes, we're called God's children, but we're also called his ambassadors. He's not just brought us into his family, but he's also put us on this mission to be asking other people to be part of his family as well. And so from the very beginning, and this will be on the screen in Genesis, we can see as God's interacting with Adam and Eve, he tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Why? Because he wanted the earth to be displayed with his glory and with his wonder. And even after that, after Adam and Eve kind of go their own direction, they get caught up in sin because they want to satisfy their own desires. What do we see happen next? But God tells Abram. He pulls him aside and he says, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. God had this design and desire that Abram would take this blessing of the Lord, this relationship with God and show it to other nations around them. He says, I will bless those who bless you and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all, the families of earth shall be blessed. That's saying, that's foreshadowing that someday... Jesus was going to come in that same family line and bring hope for the whole world that they could be in the family of God as well. And so the God of Israel is saying that to Adam. He's saying that to Abram. In Jesus' parting words to his disciples, as he's going to be with the Father. What does he say to them? He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to teach these things and to carry it on forward. Why? Because Discipleship is this well-oiled strategy of the Lord from the beginning for his church to grow. And so as Jesus is going to be with the Father, that's what he's giving his disciples. And so this morning, as we're in this, in John 21, we're going to see Jesus, his model and playbook for a deeper discipleship. It's almost as if the coach is showing his notes and saying, all right, here, here team, here disciples, this is what you need to be doing. So the topic this morning is Jesus, his playbook for a deeper discipleship. And first we'll be looking at rule number one, 
It's that deep discipleship passionately pursues people. That's the same sort of persevering love that we saw Jesus having last week. We see that in the text again today. The second rule for a deeper discipleship is that we dig and develop a climate for growth. As followers of Christ, we can't change people, but we can help put them in an environment for the Spirit to be doing a work in their life. And so we need to be able to dig and develop a climate for growth. And then third, we see Jesus modeling a discipleship that focuses on following Jesus. Sometimes we get steered astray and our discipleship actually gets focused on someone besides Christ, either ourselves or maybe someone we're trying to imitate. And we're just trying to be like them, but not trying to be like Jesus. And so let me just say this as well before we jump in. If you're in a spot this morning and you're thinking, man, discipleship, I've never been discipled before. Hopefully for you, you're going to see in the text, God has a design for us to, to grow underneath, alongside other people in the faith. And so if discipleship is a new term for you and you're like, yeah, this, this isn't part of my life, then hopefully this morning is for you. And if, if you're in here and you've been following Jesus for a while now and you haven't been a disciple maker, meaning someone who's kind of mentoring along other believers and pushing them into Christ, then hopefully this morning is for you so that you can see, whoa, God calls me into that same mission as well. And if you're in a spot this morning that, that I kind of feel like I'm in, feeling a little guilty because as I'm looking at this text and, and looking at, oh, this passionate love and care for other people. I feel like I'm in a season since getting married and since having a son where it's like discipleship. I'm having to figure out what it looks like in the home. And so if you're in a place this morning where it's like discipleship has been maybe not my passion point recently and I I used to do that, then hopefully this morning, as for me, could be for you as well, just an encouragement and a reminder to be passionate about God's big design for us to be speaking about his mission and bringing other people in on it as well. And so let me pray for us, and Lord willing, uh, this text is going to carve our hearts together as a church this morning. So Lord, we thank you that we can again be with one another, and we ask that just as we're opening your word, we would have ready hearts and keen eyes, that your spirit would just be bringing truth before us. And God, if we have been absent-minded, or if we have been just ignorant of this idea of discipleship, God, I pray that as we look at the text, we'll see you loving your disciples well and modeling this thing that we can be a part of as well today, God, even if we haven't been. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to John 21. If you're not already there, we're going to be reading through the first uh, 14 verses there. As we look at this first rule for deep discipleship that passionately pursues people. And so let's go ahead and read verses 1 to 14 together. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging their net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so the night before Jesus' death, when he's on that Thursday evening with his disciples, he actually communicates to them, hey, after I die, I'm going to be raised again, and I'm going to meet you in Galilee. In Matthew 26, we, th- we see this. It says, you will all fall away because of me this night, that Passover night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. As we look at John 21, it seems that that's exactly what happened. The shepherd was struck. The sheep were scattered. The shepherd's killed, yet he's raised again, and now he goes before them to Galilee. Peter and his posse, they they go up from Jerusalem 70 miles north to the Sea of Tiberias, also called Galilee. And Jesus, at some point, had decided to do the same. And so we see the disciples out there kind of doing their old thing that they had become used to where they were catching fish. They did that for years before they followed Jesus, and they're trying to catch fish. They, they work all night, catch nothing, which if you're a fisherman, you're like, yeah, those are the worst times to fish, right? When you put all in that energy and you get nothing in return. That's where they're at. And then what do we see? Jesus, he's on the shoreline, and he's already got some fish there. Must be a good fisherman. Got the stuff cooked up already, charcoal fire. And he, he, he's ready to bring them in. And so as we're looking at this setting, we can see that Jesus is passionately pursuing his disciples. He had this deep discipleship that went after the people who were his. And so we see here in the text, there's, there's three clear ways that Jesus is passionately pursuing his disciples. As so a first, he intentionally goes to find his disciples to continue the relationship. Okay, and so let's rewind a little bit what had happened. Before Jesus was killed, his disciples made promises that they didn't keep. Once Jesus surrendered himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples, they scatter. Once Jesus was killed, the disciples are crushed, hopeless. Some of them maybe even ready to move on. And then even after he's raised, what do we see? Some of the disciples are stuck in fear, confusion, and doubt. Yet regardless of that, what do we see Jesus doing? He's pursuing them with passion. 70 miles north he goes because he knows those boys are going to go fishing again. And so with this intentionality, he's going after them. He's seeking them out. He's traveling far to continue the relationship. Second thing we can see here in the text is is something where he's speaking encouragement and bringing them a gift. Why is he doing this? It's to strengthen the relationship. Not only does he want to continue the relationship, but he also wants to strengthen it. Where do we see this? In verse 4, And this is like across the water, right? So he's like, children, do you have any fish? 
There are ways out. He knows the answer. He knows they don't have any fish. And they're probably like, who is this guy yelling at me? And they say, no. And they're probably like, no, with an attitude. Because they're like, it's been all night. No fish. Like, don't ask me about that. And then what's the response from Jesus? He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And you will find some. And what happens? They cast it. And were not able to haul it in. The image that came to my mind as I was looking at this text was, I don't know if anybody else has this problem, but ever since I was little and, and mama brought home the groceries, I'd go to the trunk of the car and be like, man, there's like 75 bags in this car and I'm not making two trips. And so you put like, you know, 34 bags on this arm and 34 bags on this arm or whatever math adds up to 75 and you're like, I can make all of this in the house in one trip. I promise. Mom, you got to get the door though, right? And I still do that. That's what's going on here. They have all this fish. And they're like, we can't even haul it in. What's Jesus doing? He's encouraging them. He knows that his disciples were fishermen. He knows where to find them. And he knows how to bless them when they're in a place of defeat. Maybe even a simple defeat of we went fishing and we caught nothing. What's Jesus doing? He's blessing his disciples with a gift. A third thing we see him doing here is he's serving his disciples. He models healthy fellowship. Where do we see this? In verse 12, he says, come and have breakfast. And in a way that's not too different than the communion that they had had the night before he died. In verse 13, it says, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. So with the fish. He spends time with them. He encourages them. And he also just communes. And he reminds them, yeah, that, that body, that bread that was broken, that, that was me. And here we are again, disciples. I'm showing you that I'm pursuing you with passion and love and care. A vital rule of Jesus' playbook for deep discipleship is passionately pursuing people. And I think a, a subtle thing that we can see here in the text that proves that is true is Peter and John's interaction. John says, hey, I think that's the Lord. And from the second that Peter hears that, he jumps in the water. He swims 100 yards or more just to give the guy a hug. He wanted the first hug. And that's a sign of Jesus passionately pursuing his people. Because what sort of friend do you do that for, right? Like, I don't think there's anybody in the world who would, like, jump in the water and swim 100 yards to see me to give me a hug. I'm not a huge hugger, so maybe that's why they wouldn't do it. But this is evidence, clear evidence of Jesus having for years passionately been pursuing his disciples. Because even Peter, Peter's probably walking with shame right now because he's like, yeah, the, I had denied him three times in a row. And, uh, but what do we see? Peter jumps in the water. He's like, I bet that man loves me so much that he's going to receive that hug if I give it to him. Right? And so we see Peter jumping in. And so to the Christian this morning, do you have, if you are discipling someone, if you're being discipled by someone, do you have that mutual excitement for that relationship where, where you're trying to encourage them to be like Jesus, where they're trying to encourage you to be like Jesus? Do you have that joy for the other person? Do you have that passion, that love, that care? In Philippians 1, Paul writes to the church of Philippi. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Gospel partnership. 
That's what Jesus was developing with these guys. He was for them as individuals, and because of that, he, he passionately pursued them as people. And so as you think about the relationships in your life, the discipleship in your life, is there that passion? Is there that care and affection for one another? That's the part where right now I feel guilty. Like three of the guys that I have discipled in Salt Company, like if you sat them down and interviewed them and said, hey, is Nick Serene passionately pursuing you right now? And some of them are in here. I don't think they would say, yes, he's really doing that. And so if that's you this morning, I can really resonate with that because I'm there sometimes too where it's like, man, I... I say I love discipleship, but if we talk to the people that I'm discipling, would they say that I really love them and pursue them with the same sort of passion that Christ was doing? And so deep discipleship is formed around affection for others through this idea of gospel partnership. And so that's the the first rule that we see here that Jesus kind of pulling from his playbook is that his disciples would see that he's about this deep discipleship that is passionately pursuing people. Let's read on into verses 15 to 19 and see Jesus' interaction with Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. And walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The second rule that we see here in Jesus' discipleship is that deep discipleship digs and develops a climate for growth. In this setting, they had just shared this meal. They had just enjoyed time with Jesus. They were over this charcoal fire, right? Eating some food, communing with one another. Yeah, what does Jesus do? He, he singles Peter out. He pulls him aside. Maybe it's in front of the other disciples. We don't know. But he begins to have this conversation with Peter. And what he's doing here with Peter is he's digging beneath the surface in his life because he knows there's some repair that needs to happen. Because if this same Peter was the guy who had been denying Christ three times in a row over another charcoal fire in the courtyard, there is some reconciliation that needs to be taking place here. And so Jesus is aware and ready to dig beneath the surface in Peter's life. And out of love, he starts asking him questions. Let's read verse 15 again. Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. The the first thing that Jesus is digging up and, and asking here, it seems to be, is this question of, do you have superior love for me? He brings up this question of like, do you love me more than these? Some scholars, they'd say, oh, the these is probably representing the other disciples that were around him. Or... Other scholars would say, no, that these would be referencing the fish. Like they're over this charcoal fire. He's just been fishing. 
regardless of what it was, whether it was a fish, whether it was the community, he's testing Peter to see, Peter, do you love me more than this community? Or Peter, do you love me more than this fish that you're eating or, or more than the fishing that you did for so many years? Do you love me, Peter, more than your wife? Like, like where am I at? You say you love, Peter, but do you love me most? And I think that's what he's getting at in the first question. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. I think the second thing he's digging at here is, Peter, do you love me for me? There's, there's not a comparison. There's not a comparison with fish. There's not a comparison with community, with a spouse. He just says, do you love me? And he's trying to get Peter to see that Peter is someone who at times speaks, yes, I love you, but doesn't always show it. Peter, do you love me even if I don't give you this gift of fish? And Peter's like, yeah, I do, I do, I do. And he says, if so, care for my flock. And so he goes to Peter a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This third time is when Jesus is digging up this idea of reconciliation. I believe he's mirroring what had taken place earlier in John. When Peter had denied Christ three times in a row. Peter said he was never going to do that. And he did exactly that. And now here Peter is again with Jesus. They're sitting down, they're over a charcoal fire, enjoying company with one another. But Peter, on the receiving end of all these heavy questions of like, do you love me? 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 And Peter's like, yes, yes, Lord. And then the third time, it grieved him. Why did it grieve him? I believe it grieved him because he realized, ah, that's what Jesus is going for. He's trying to help me see that I'm the sort of guy who's denied him three times. But Christ has this sort of love that will keep going after me. And so Jesus digs and digs in this questioning of Peter so that Peter can see that even though he's denied him, he sincerely loves Peter still with this unconditional love. Jesus helps Peter see that there's grace even though he's been a man of denial. And so Jesus dug beneath the surface by developing this climate of growth how? By, by asking questions. He was spending time with him, and he was asking him questions to try to get beneath the surface in Peter's life. He wanted to take their meal with one another deeper than just fish and chips, deeper than just fish and bread, deeper than just a meal. He wanted to talk at the heart level. And because he loved him, he dug for that with his questioning. And so as we think about our own discipleship, if we're discipling others or getting discipled, is that present? Do we dig into one another's life beneath the surface? Or do we just try to kind of keep it real surface level of like, okay, you got your Bible and you were at church last week, right? Good. And you sing when they sing. Good. Like, is that your discipleship? Though those are important things. Or does your discipleship include digging beneath the surface about attitudes, about your character development? Is it about memorization or is it about true growth? Spiritual growth isn't a copy and paste of belief and facts from your mind into someone else's and then just moving on. It's much more than that. Growth and true discipleship 
is slowed down spirituality, a slowed down spirituality with someone else that digs beneath the surface and looks within. There's a quote that'll be on the screen that says, most of us in our more honest moments will admit that there are deep layers beneath our day to day. As the following iceberg illustration shows, only about 10% of an iceberg is visible to the eye. This 10% represents the visible changes that we make that others can see. We become nicer people, more respectful. We attend church and participate regularly. We clean up our lives somewhat. We begin to pray and share Christ with others. But the roots of who we are continue at times unaffected and unmoved. Contemporary spiritual models address some of that 90% below the surface. The problem is that a large portion remains untouched by Jesus Christ until there is a serious engagement beneath the surface. Jesus modeled a deeper discipleship that went beneath the surface. As you think about all of his time with his disciples, all of his time that he spent with the crowds, he didn't just leave it at the surface level conversation. He knew that people's past, he knew that people's hurts, he knew that people's sin, the unseen things, had great implications of how they were before the Lord and how they were before others and how they were at doing his mission. And so Jesus slowed down with Peter after this meal and dug in because he believes and and sets the pace of it being worth it to go beneath the surface in people's lives. He helped people understand their desires, their needs, their tendencies, and their past and their present. And so up on the screen, uh, there's a question. It says, have Jesus and others gone deep in your life for your growth? Might not be able to read it throughout the room. I try to make the font big enough, but, you know, limited TV size. So uh, surface discipleship. We're getting saved. We're getting disciplined. Maybe we're going forward. Those are seeing good things of the Lord. Great works of God in our life. And discipleship often involves that and needs to involve that. But there's also this beneath the surface discipleship that Jesus is showing here. Sinful patterns and hidden sin. Divisive or passive tendencies. Smothered over insecurities that we're trying to hide. Undealt with weaknesses. Self-protective tendencies. Buried wounds, grief and losses. Untouched past failures, misprioritized wants and needs, ongoing fears and anxieties. These are things that need to be brought up in our discipleship with one another. And so if we're trying to grow in Christ, yeah, we should be in the word. Yeah, we should be memorizing scripture. We should be doing these things. But there also should be people alongside of us that are asking like, hey, like, why did you get so mad when we were playing basketball earlier? Like, I wonder what's beneath that. Like, you cuss that guy out. You're usually a pretty easygoing guy, and all of a sudden you're, you're just going off on him. Like, why? Do you have someone in your life that's asking those questions? A lot of times our spouse gets to be this person of like, whoa, like, what's up with you today? You didn't just sleep bad last night. Something must be going on. Do you have that deeper discipleship in your life where there's someone further along in the faith or maybe just a peer in the faith that's checking you and saying like, yeah, like, like where are you at? Where are you at at the surface? Where are you at beneath it? On the next slide, it's going to ask a question about, have you and Jesus dug deep with your disciples? If you're someone who's been passionately seeking after other people and trying to make disciples, is your discipleship of them just about like, hey, memorize this and, and you'll be good? Or let's just read this one we're together and then we'll hope that the, the other 167 hours of the week will be fine. Like, 
is it that sort of discipleship? Or as you're trying to disciple others, are you trying to dig beneath the surface? And as you're catching patterns in their life, you're bringing it up and you're asking those questions, not in a judgmental way, because you're not perfect either, but asking them out of love so that they might grow in their relationship with Christ. And so if you're a community group leader, is, is this happening in your discipleship of others? If you're within a community group, if you're not in a community group, if you're within this church, if you're just checking it out, where are you at when it comes to getting discipled or mentored in the faith? And where are you at with discipling others? If, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to be making disciples. And does your discipleship involve this? Or are you in a place where it's like, yeah, no, I go to church, but this discipleship thing is different. I don't know. And if that's you, that's great, because we're on this text today, and Jesus is teaching us something. Jesus' discipleship playbook had this slowed-down spirituality with others, and what did it do? It dug to create this deep connection so that people might grow to love Jesus more and look like him more. We can see this in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we aren't just children, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' ministry was all about reconciliation. As he was raising up these disciples to then release them onto mission, he's helping them reconcile all these things in their past and their present. He's digging beneath the surface. Is that part of your discipleship? The final rule that we can see in Jesus' playbook for deeper discipleship focuses on following Jesus. We can see this in some of the final verses here in 20 to 23. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among abroad, the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? As we first glance at this, it doesn't really seem significant. It seems like, whoa, if you're coming to the end of a book. Why include something like this? It, it seems not extravagant, but insignificant. Why, why is it in here? It seems like Peter's just bringing up some random question. I think what's happening here is Jesus had just said in verse 19, the final part of that, he says, follow me. He says that to Peter. They're sitting there and he says, follow me. Okay, and then what happens next is it seems like Peter's trying to deflect Christ going after him. He doesn't really seem to acknowledge that Christ has just been like driving after him. Like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus' final word there, follow me, Peter. And what does Peter do? He starts asking about the other guy. 
He's like, all right, that's great you have that for me, Lord. You kind of went on a rant, but let's talk about John. In a moment where Jesus is trying to help Peter see that it's all about Jesus, about following him, we see Peter trying to bring up John. He starts focusing on what's going to happen to the other guy. That's why in verse 22 he says, Lord, what about this man? And what's Jesus' response in verse 22? He says, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus needed Peter to understand the simple truth that discipleship is about following Jesus. It's not about checking in on other people to figure out, you know, who are they following, to see what their end is. The foundation of discipleship is us following after Christ. That's the simplicity of this message. He's ending this book so that Peter can be seen like, all right, like, you follow me. Like, Peter, I need you to follow me. John's trying to communicate just a simple truth that discipleship, that the Christian life is about following Jesus. We can see this in other areas of Scripture, that discipleship is about following Christ and his teachings. In John 8, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Discipleship is about following Jesus and his teachings. In Luke 9, 23, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Is your personal discipleship and your own growth, is it about following Jesus or is it about just you being better, you being more healthy? What's the motive in you seeking after the Lord? Is it for you or is it for the Lord? What's the heart behind it? Is your own growth about following after Christ and his ways, or is it just so that you can have a better life? What's the driving motive there? If you're discipling others, is it so that they begin to look like you, so that they just imitate you? Or is your heart in discipling others so that they would imitate the parts of you that look like Jesus Christ, so that they would follow Jesus Christ more faithfully? I think there's many great discipleship models out there, and there's tons of books that are written about it. And we need those. At the same time, sometimes we just need to look at the simplicity of Scripture. Like discipleship, Christianity, is about following Jesus. And so as you're discipling other people, are you helping them follow after Jesus? Or are you just trying to help them not swear? Or are you just trying to help them dress different or look different? What's your end? If you're trying to encourage other people in the faith, what's your end? Is it so that they'd follow Christ or so that they just be different, be nicer, so that they're easier to be around? What's your motive in discipling them? Do you slow down in your life and help other people focus on Jesus as well? And so why do we do discipleship here at Anthem? Why do we have a, a strategy where we want to reach people, raise them up in Christ, and then release them? Why is this a thing that we talk about? It's because, as I said at the beginning, it's this well-oiled thing that God designed. It's God's design for the local church to make disciples so that as disciples are being made, disciples get sent out. Up on the screen, there's going to be way too many pictures depicting exactly how this worked from the beginning. And so in Jerusalem in the first century, that's where the, the gospel is, is first being shared among the early church. It goes from there to Judea, to Samaria, and then to Greece. That's where it's going in the first century. You see the little dot that works its way 
to Greece. Then the Greek church and the Jerusalem church in the first and second century, it goes from France to Tunisia to Algeria to Sri Lanka. What happens after that? Third century, the greater church. So by now there's churches that have started other churches that have started other churches. Portugal, Morocco, Austria, Belgium, they're getting the gospel. People are hearing about Christ and they're following him. Disciples are being made. Churches are being started and they're planting and they're planting. The greater church by the 6th century, it's in Ethiopia. It's in England. I think it jumps all the way to the 1300s here. Next, the greater church by 1300, it's in Russia, China, sub-Saharan Africa. By the 1850s, you know, by 1600, the greater church is going to Congo, North and South America, Indonesia. And then by 1850, it's all the way to Australia. Australia, the American West, and beyond. All those arrows represent people taking on this thing, this idea of casting the nets, where they're seeing, okay, God has called us to follow after him, and as he's called us to follow after him, we're also to be bringing other people along with us. And as the gospel has exploded from one individual's life to another, that's what happened. Over the last 2,000 years, that's why so many people in the world are following after Jesus. It's not because of television or TikTok or anything like that. It's because people have faithfully made disciples who made disciples within local churches. And then some of them took that message and they went forward. And that's why we're passionate about missions here because we want more people to know, love, and obey Jesus, not just here in Colombia, but beyond that. Not just in the U.S., but beyond that to the ends of the earth. And so hopefully we're passionate about that because even our own church story, and this is the next slide, in 1994, Cornerstone Church, this small church in Ames, Iowa, started this thing called Salt Company. And then in 2013, a Candeo Church, which is the church that I was at in Cedar Falls, Iowa, they said, hey, maybe we could start a church. And so then they, in 2016, started Anthem Church from Cedar Falls to Columbia, and now it's grown into this salt network thing where there's 25 churches throughout the U.S. who have this kind of model of salt company, this college ministry, and a local church that's helping drive that out. Why? Why are we doing it? Why do we talk about discipleship? Because not only we see it in John 21 and all throughout Scripture, but we also just know that the more we see God, hopefully the more we're joyfully bringing other people into that story so that the world can be filled with his glory. So that we can be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Not just with people, but with disciples who are following after Christ. And not just disciples who are kind of following Christ, but people who have this deeper discipleship where they're looking more and more like Jesus the longer that they live. So Jesus' design for the church to grow was discipleship, to cast the nets. And so this morning, are, are you in here and having the sense that, yeah, I, I hear you talking about Christianity, about following Jesus, and I'm not doing that. If that's you, that's, that's okay. That, God knows where we're at. But at the same time, is the, the Spirit convicting you, challenging you to see, like, oh, I have been on autopilot. I'm in a world that God designed for us to make Him Lord, but I've made myself Lord. If that's you this morning, I believe this text is calling you to see Jesus is full of passion. To pursue you. Jesus wants to dig beneath the surface into those insecurities and those fears so that you can find life. And he also wants to walk with you so you can take this message of following Jesus and invite other people in. And so this morning, for some of you, it might be committing your life, surrendering your life to Christ for the first time. And for others, for me, for some of the believers in here, maybe, maybe the conviction this morning is to have that passion and joy to pursue other people 
so that we can encourage them, so we can challenge them. Or, or maybe we're feeling very young in the faith and we don't know where to go. And maybe for you, it's, it's thinking through like, man, who, is the, who are the people in my life that, that might be able to encourage me and challenge me and reaching out to them? God has something for us all in this text together. Is discipleship part of your life? If so, who are you discipling? Who in the world would say that you are discipling them? And if you are discipling them, what's your motive? Is it for your glory or God's? And if you are discipling them, and your motive is to glorify God, how is that going? Is there passion? Is it going beneath the surface? Is it about following Jesus? Not about following you, but about following Jesus. Let's be a church with a heartbeat for a resurrected king that would want to know, love, and obey him more and more individually, but that would also be people who want to go and do his mission, making disciples all throughout the world. Where are you at this morning? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your interactions 2,000 years ago with Peter, with these other disciples. They were out fishing, and they were enjoying themselves, God, but you spent time with them in a way that just showed what community with God looks like. And Lord, I pray that if there's people in this room that haven't been in community with you before through a personal relationship with Jesus, God, I pray that they would surrender to you today. And God, if there's people in here, which there surely are, people who have uh, claimed your name, God, and are faithfully following after you in many aspects, God, but not following after you in this idea of discipleship, of being brought up in the faith, Lord, I pray that they'd reach out to somebody. And God, I pray that if they haven't been discipling, if I haven't been passionate in my discipleship, God, I pray that we'd be able to confess that, that your spirit would do a work in our heart so that we would have joy in doing the thing that you called us to do, God. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.